Abandoned to Mother, the incredible, emotional, and life-changing transformation we take when we go on our journey into motherhood. From all things conception to postpartum and parenthood, I will be talking with parents and hearing their stories of navigating these times while sharing helpful information along the way. Together, we'll be covering all stories, no matter how you have chosen to conceive, birth, or parent. Let's get into it. Hello, listeners. Before we get into today's show, I wanted to have a little chat with you all. I started this community in the peak of my postpartum period, hoping that I could help other mums feel confident on their journey into motherhood. And it's something that I am truly, truly passionate about. I would love to be able to do this full time so I can make it even bigger and better for you all, but I can only do that with your love and support. So it would mean the world to me if you could like and share this podcast with a friend or family member follow me on instagram facebook or tiktok or give my podcast a five-star review to help it get out there and if you're in the market for birth preparation or postpartum products jump onto the website www.thematedtomotherjourney.com and treat yourself to one of the beautiful packs that i have created especially for mums to be or brand new mums these packs will also make the perfect baby shower gift for a friend so you can grab your special discount code which is pod 10 pod 10 and now let's get into the show hello and welcome to the maiden to mother journey i'm kendall your podcast host and today we're speaking with sherry how are you going hello good thank you kendall Really, really well. Nervous. <laughs> we were just saying offline how, you know, it's just a conversation between a couple of girls. So there's there's no need to be nervous. And yes. I can't wait to dive into your story. You've got a beautiful story to share with the listeners today. Definitely. So can you start off by telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Who's in your family? Where you live? What you do? Yeah. Absolutely. So these are usually the hardest questions to answer, but (laughs) I'm 32, born and raised on the Gold Coast. Uh, I have two little boys, Theodore, who is soon to be four at the end of December, and Lewis, who will be one at the start of November. Um, With us is my beautiful fiancé, Mitch. Uh, We have been together for... I'd say just over five years now, and I'm currently still on maternity leave for a couple of weeks, so really lapping that up at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so we will, it's the, you, you call him Theo as a nickname, don't you? I call him Theo. Teddy. 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 Teddy or Ted. <laughs> so we'll start off with your journey into motherhood. That's your maiden to mother journey with Teddy. Yes. Um, can you tell us about your family planning and conception with him? Absolutely. So Ted himself was a surprise. Yeah. So yeah, so Mitch and I had actually been together, I would say just shy of a year. Um, it was actually nothing that we had on the cards. Um, it was obviously, as you can imagine, a massive surprise. So at the time, I actually hadn't had a period for quite a while. Um, now that that was a few visits back and forth to the doctors and I actually started taking folic acid thinking that I was sterile <laughs> as as ridiculous as that sounds I got onto the google and I thought well what can I do to you know help my body and um 
some time passed and I went back to the doctor for further investigation and yeah, it turns out I was pregnant. Did the doctor not like do that first test when you missed your period? <laughs> no. So yeah, so originally we actually had, I had done some urine tests at home and they were all negative. Right. Yeah. Testing a little bit too early. I must have been. So I don't have a regular cycle. Um, and that was at that stage. I mean, I hadn't had my period for a few months, so I wasn't quite sure what exactly was going on as I had always been on contraception. Mm. Yeah. So it was pretty much the appointment where I went in and I was told that I was pregnant. The HCG levels were so, so low. Um, I was actually told that I had more than likely had a mis- miscarriage. Yeah. And that I needed to return in another week for further investigation, some more bloods and everything along those lines. Um, but I'll tell you what, by the time that next week rolled around, I was definitely pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the line was clear as anything and I could, yeah, I could feel the changes begin. Yeah, so how far along were you? I was actually, I think, about, I would say, eight and a half weeks. Yeah. Yeah, so quite, you know, I I guess I had just started to come into that phase with the nausea, although I'm quite lucky, I must admit, I wasn't overly ill. I was just extremely tired. Mm, Yeah, that first trimester tiredness, just... yes nothing like it. No. <laughs> and how was like you, yours and Mitch's reaction, obviously not being together for like that long um, mm. and it being a bit of a surprise. How are you guys feeling? It was a lot. <laughs> so I think uh, for him, it was probably a bit of a shock. You know, he had always wondered what that would feel like, (laughs) you know, and it wasn't planned. Like we had just only been living together for a couple of months as well. I think being a bit of a a realist to a certain extent, like I did have to, you know, we considered all scenarios. We hadn't been together that long, you know, what what could the future look like? Um, And without sounding too cheesy, but I always knew Mitch was the person for me. Mm. and I knew, you know, he he's such a supporting man where it was just I was going to have the baby. That was yeah. it. A hundred percent. And, you know, like I will never, I will never, ever forget the moment Mitch went in and he spoke to his mum. That was, yeah, that was absolutely wild and I, I will just never forget the look on her face. <laughs> Was it a happy look? Oh, absolutely. Honestly, you couldn't even click your fingers before she was, you know, tearing up, cuddling him. Like it was so beautiful. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was. I've got the biggest (laughs) smile on my face even thinking about it now. So (laughs) Same. Yeah. So how was your pregnancy and like what did you do for birth preparation? Like what sort of model of care did you choose? So I was actually lucky enough to be a part of the MGP yep. with TED. Through Gold Coast uh, Uni? Yeah, through GCH. That, look, that was pretty pretty standard. Um, I feel like 
it it was enough. But for a first time mum, you know, I wanted to know absolutely everything from the get go. Mm-hmm. Now I do feel like the information you receive is, you know, you kind of you drip fed certain parts, I guess, to where you are along with that gestation. Yeah. Um, yeah, but look, I mean, I couldn't fault it. I think we're pretty, pretty lucky to have a public system and be able to access that type of program and a hospital like GCUH. Yeah, it's a very good hospital. Yes, definitely. I uh, once I got so the plan pretty much throughout my pregnancy was a vaginal birth. We actually had a private midwife come out to our house and you know run over certain things and give us just that additional information yeah um which look I did find I did find really helpful um although once I kind of once I gradually ticked along the weeks and I was approaching the 38 week mark uh, my midwife had actually just returned from uh, leave I think she was away for about a week or two and the, I guess the person who was filling in for her had taken an incorrect measurement of my fundal height. Mm. Yes. So when she had returned from holidays, she's done my fundal height and gone, oh, okay, you're about 43 centimetres, which was a, a massive jump from the previous weeks. So anyway, she just kind of said to me, oh, you know, look, it's totally fine. Uh, smaller women have large babies all the time. We'll just keep an eye on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, the next morning she actually sent me a message and said she would like me to go for a um, an emergency scan just to really gauge what well, the actual size of the baby. Mm. Now, I know the scans are obviously, you know, they're never 100% accurate, um, but this one actually was. So he was, <laughs> yeah, he was over. And look, I knew he was a whopper because yeah. I was huge. Like I put on, not that you should jump on the scales this often, but there was a good 30 kilos. Happening. Yeah, yeah. I really indulged in that you know, self-care, the snacks, really, <laughs> really minimal movement, which part of me, if I could go back and do it, it the, the biggest advice I would give myself is please stay active yeah. <laughs> because things are going to hurt for a very long time if you don't look after <laughs> <Yeah>. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how big was he? <laughs> so, yeah, that were, the rough estimate was I think it was 4.5. Yeah, kilos. Um, and from you know from that, obviously, I was only just coming like just past the thirty-eight week mark, and there was I had an appointment following the scan with the obstetrician that afternoon, and I there was a few proposals which were you know we can induce you, you can have a C-section, or we can do nothing. Yeah, for me. I I opted for the elective C-section. Yeah. Uh, I honestly, like, I, I mean, there is part of me, I just, yeah, there, there was just, I was very drawn to that option. Um, and within a couple of days, I was, I was booked in and it was ready to go. So I think I had 
my actual C-section when I was 39 weeks. Yeah, talk us through your C-section. It was incredibly scary. So this is someone who would cry at a blood test. So. Yeah, so I was at, obviously like pregnancy, you get so many blood tests. I was just starting to kind of warm up and not have to lay down when I would get a blood test. So it was really the, you know, the initial, uh, up, like the prep for the C-section that was incredibly overwhelming. Yeah. Like it's a little, a little bit of a blur to be honest. Um, and I think I was pretty calm until the part where I had to separate from Mitch mm-hmm. and then obviously go into the room and you have, um, you know, like you've got the, I can't really think of the word, what is it? Like anaesthetists or like yeah. the, yeah, yeah, who does so, the administering like the spinal block and stuff. Yeah, so even the room before that, to be honest, so I yeah. think where they kind of get you hooked up and get all the goodies in your arm and everything, mm-hmm. I couldn't stop crying. Yeah. <laughs> and I said to the lady, I remember, I was like, I feel really sick and I'm really scared. <laughs> and she she was lovely. Like the staff in that, the staff were absolutely amazing. So kind of following that and she gave me obviously a little something to make me to take that nausea away and that then calmed me uh, mm-hmm. until we got into the room for the spinal block. Um, my memory of that, it wasn't it wasn't traumatizing for me. It was it was kind of just part of the process by that stage. I think I was so, wound up that I just had that big emotional release in the room before entering which was probably a good thing because I know you have to stay super still Mm. and how long did it the did the actual proceed like c-section take so I think oh from the top of my head I would say that one that one did definitely feel like I was in there for a long time I couldn't be specific but I think we would have been about maybe 45 minutes. Mm. Um, and, you know, from my second birth, I know that they can be done a lot quicker than that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that and look, that was a really, really, for me, a really nice experience. I couldn't, there's nothing I wanted leaving the room. I don't have any. You know, there's no trauma that came from that experience. I had people taking photos, playing music. They- yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and how big was he? <laughs> yeah. So he was actually 4.26. Hectic. Yeah, so still a whopper, not quite the 4.5. But, look, I think if he had stayed in any longer, I could have definitely got him up to that. Yeah. So, yeah, because that, that was like if your C-section was at almost 39 weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big boy. <laughs> oh, no. Very well fed in there, whatever. <laughs> I was very well fed. So. <laughs> oh, and so what was like your recovery like and your postpartum period? So the recovery was pretty yucky. 
yeah, that that is something that I I struggled with, and I think having, you know, your the the first time you look at your body in the mirror before you have a shower and you're alone, like that really hit hard for me. Mm-hmm. Not because I'm, you know, not because I'm vain or I saw, you know, I saw the cut um, from the C-section and at that stage I still had some, I think it was like a bit of a clear bandage over the top. So there was a lot of, you know, blood pulled up in that area. So in my head I just, I looked at it and it just, it made me cry. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it just, it, it really got me. And then obviously with that, you know, you're looking at your your deflated tummy and I had all these stretch marks and obviously like, you know, prior to my first pregnancy, I was always, always quite slim, fit, you know, active. So I really did stop that all the things I probably should have kept up, not just for the physical side of things, but for the mental side of things, I really just stopped everything as soon as I found out I was pregnant because, hey, this is what you're supposed to do, just rest. Mm. Um, but I do, yeah, in hindsight, there's absolutely rest. Have your ice cream, have your <laughs> couch days, just not every day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really a bit glad. of sunshine, you know, doesn't hurt. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought this up because no one's ever sort of, no one's ever brought this up on the podcast that it is normal and really overwhelming to see yourself. I remember just as you were saying that, it just triggered a memory, yeah. you know, of myself. Oh, hello, dog. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I um, I was going to say, hopefully Australia Post doesn't rock up today. <laughs> Lily, <laughs> sorry, what you're saying? That's okay. <laughs> Just after I'd given birth, and yet that same thing, like going in for a shower, I remember catching a glimpse mm. of my body and feeling super overwhelmed because it just changes so quickly. Like you, absolutely, the baby's gone, and mm-hmm. why? Why is it ingrained in us, or like, is it societal pressure that? I felt really beautiful the day before when I was pregnant yes. and then the second my baby left me, I felt that same feeling, exactly mm. what you said. It was a very overwhelming and probably upsetting feeling. I had to learn to love myself again. Oh, absolutely. Like I've actually got goosebumps because you are, you're starting as the, the moment your child is birthed, you are starting over again. Yeah. And you know, like you would know that's not just physically, that's mentally, that's that's everything. Like you look you look at yourself different, but you also look at all your relationships, your friendship circles, um, yeah, your whole life. Mm. So did you choose to breastfeed or bottle feed? Uh, so I actually did choose to breastfeed. Now with Ted... So despite his size, um, he had lost just slightly over, I think, the standard 10 or 11% after the C-section. So not only was I breastfeeding, I was then expressing and providing a top-up. Now, I'm... If maybe if he wasn't my first, I could have gone with my, my gut and I guess the hospital just has to follow, you know, specific procedures. 
I, I don't really think there was a need for it. Like, yes, definitely stick to your three to four hourly feeds. But this was, yeah, this was a lot on my body around the clock for, you know, uh, a bub that was healthy, decent size, breastfeeding quite well. Yeah. Um, there were, you know, I think my memories back to to breastfeeding, it wasn't... You know, everyone says, oh, it's the most natural thing in the world. Well, it wasn't for me. And it was like, well, I, it fucking I, wasn't, okay? Yeah. Oh, look, I Ted was crying. I was crying. Mitch is like, what the fuck do I do here? And I, I said to him, I'm like, go get a tin of formula. And he's like, you just need to calm down. <laughs> It was like 11 o'clock at night, but I got to the stage where I was literally, I actually took a video of Ted crying because I, I would try and feed him and he just wouldn't latch. Like he was really, uh, you know what they're like, they're bright red, just mm. screaming. And it was, it was horrible so horrible I, I had to think oh there's something something wrong something's going on so I took a video and in hindsight he was probably just tired yeah <laughs> you know like I will take all medical advice on board but I just wish in that situation I I maybe have had just trust my gut a little bit more and didn't you know I was up around the clock I wasn't sleeping because I would feed him and I would pump and then I'd have to wake him back up Mm. which yeah is, is not yeah. don't you wish we could we had the gift of like hindsight <laughs> oh oh tell me about it I still like I remember sitting up at one night and I was like okay so it was 11 11 p.m and I thought I'm, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna get him and I'll get it sorted I was up trying to have coffees yeah at, to say not too many but <laughs> you know, having coffee at 11 p.m. to try and feed this baby. Well, who was, you know, like who was feeding me? I wasn't looking after myself because I was so fixated on having to feed him for his weight gain. Well, he was huge. Mm. <laughs> so I think Teddy was good. <laughs> yeah, he, he was sweet. <laughs> that's the, the thing, like that's why it's so, so important and the mm. one piece of advice I give to like any woman who asks about like what advice would I give is to like like continuity of care and and if you're wanting to like if you're dead set you want to breastfeed like really booking in that support and paying for it and organizing it because like it doesn't just how you explain like it does not come natural to so many people some people yes they have a beautiful journey but more often than not it is actually a really hard thing to do and getting that external help support paying for it and actually making it a priority like it's an actual investment if that's your goal and that's what you want to achieve that is definitely some advice I'd give so did you so did you push on with breastfeeding or did you end up moving them over to the bottle no I pushed on so we actually fed for 12 months amazing and I was and I think that was a little bit of, you know, I'm stubborn. I once, yeah. <laughs> once I once the ball got rolling, I was like, yeah, breastfeeding for life. You know, like, it was on, but yeah, like obviously, as uh, Ted gradually 
got older, I think by about the 10-month mark when I had him starting in daycare, I did introduce uh, just a bottle of goat's milk formula for the day. Um, I wasn't really, I don't think anyone really loves pumping. No. And there was no way I was putting that type of pressure on myself on top of returning to work and Ted starting daycare. Mm. So um, then, so Ted's four now, so a couple years later. Yes. Along comes Lewis. Was he planned? Mm-hmm. He was. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I got to, yeah, it was, although the surprise was amazing, it was really interesting going through the motion of trying to fall pregnant. Mm. Now, I was actually off contraception for, uh, I would say, six months. Now, I know for some people that's not a very long time, but for me, those, I guess I probably should start off by saying before we started trying for Lewis, I... There, there were times where I would actually have, you know, mini breakdowns and I would feel so overwhelmed because I just wasn't sure I wanted another one. Yeah. Another, you know, another another child. I wasn't sure. Although, you know, I absolutely adored being a mum, I just wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if I was ready. Like I had friends that were having their second bubs already and I, I just, I couldn't get my head around that for some reason whatever happened something clicked and I was ready it was on so (laughs) um, now I guess the the six months I came off contraception I I wasn't um, I must admit like I was not 100% ready it was just more of a, a prep we'll get off the contraception you know I was on the mini pill I'm not a fan of taking contraception anyway Mm. um so yeah we kind of just rode rode those six months out and like there were a few months don't get me wrong especially in the lead up to Christmas where I would get my period and I was quite grateful for that yeah (laughs) I just yeah I thought oh not this month oh you know and we weren't we weren't actively trying we were you know, I was just off contraception. There was no real uh, tracking of any ovulation yeah. or anything. Yeah. Um, once those kind of six months roll, rolled around and we were coming up to just after the Christmas period, I said to Mitch, I'm like, all right, I want to fall pregnant this month. Like, let's let's go. Let's We've really, really got to give it a crack because I want to have a baby by the end of the year. Mm. Um, now, I guess we were just... You know, I guess we were just lucky. Um, I did, I, I couldn't tell you when throughout the month because I do believe my cycle is, it is quite irregular. Um, this this one month in particular, you know, every, every couple of days, as often as we could, we had a weekend away for, you know, Mitch's birthday. We really spent time with each other. And yeah, there, there it was, it happened. And I think before my pregnancy test was actually positive, I did feel, you know, that, that sensation, it reminds me of a, a letdown. Yeah. Like in, in your breasts along your nipples. I felt that one day when we were out and I just thought, 
oh, okay, well, maybe that's it. Mm. <laughs> um, and, yeah, sure enough, that that was it. That was Lewis. So um, I guess with that time frame, what I kind of didn't mention is although there were months where I really thought, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to fall pregnant right now, there was a bit of a wave that came with that. There was a bit of a wave and I was, I guess there was, sometimes a slight concern not falling pregnant although I would tell myself oh no not now not now Mm. Um, and it is it's a real head game like my heart absolutely goes out like we we are absolutely so grateful you know to have two healthy pregnancies and I know that doesn't happen for many people Mm. Um, so that's, you know, that's something I'm always really mindful of. And, you know, like even discussing how we fell pregnant with Ted and then Lewis, like that, that to me, that's a blessing. Yeah. Um, and that's a blessing that not many people get to have. So I do feel a little bit selfish when I say, oh, you know, not this month or I wasn't a hundred percent in. That was more of a, a, I guess, a mental thing for me. Mm, I understand exactly what you're saying and it is very lovely that you are considering other people's feelings in this because many women do listen to the podcast that do have dramas but in the end like this is your journey and you are allowed to feel every single feeling you felt you know what I mean yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it is beautiful that you are considering other people's feelings but it's totally okay to go through all of the feelings that you needed to feel in that. Yeah, of course. So isn't it interesting that like the first month that you started to be like be fully open to receiving is when you fell pregnant? Absolutely. And I think I do, there's part of me that believes that, you know, that old saying things happen for a reason. Well, the timing, the timing for Ted, the timing for Lewis it was all meant to be. It was our time. Mm. And yeah, like I said, I'm just, I'm so grateful for that. We've got two healthy boys. You couldn't, you couldn't ask for anything more really, two healthy children. Yeah. And so how was your pregnancy with him? And did you decide to go through like the same model of care? So with Lewis, my pregnancy was a little bit different. Um, Not, not by much, but I guess having a toddler at home, you don't really get the luxury of lazing around or mm. sleeping when you want. So it was really just, it was go, go, go for me. Um, I decided not to apply for MGP. Um, and that was purely just because I thought I, I was, I was pretty confident in what I was doing. Yeah. And you know, I had at the time I had a wonderful GP who I, you know, I absolutely I could trust her and her knowledge. So I, w- I was really confident in just going into shared care. Mm-hmm. Through GCU again? Yeah, through GCH. Yeah. And were you planning, like, what was your birth plan this time? Were you planning on having another elective C section? So I left it open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, with Lewis, and this is something I haven't really discussed with anyone, many people at least. Um, basically, 
I guess because of the stigma that comes with it, but I had gestational diabetes with Lewis. Now, I was diagnosed, I think, a lot, well, a lot later. So I was about 30 weeks. Um, now, I can't remember why it was so late, but my pregnancy with Lewis, I actually did do a couple of additional tests like early pregnancy, which all came back negative, uh, which was obviously great because I would not want to endure that for the whole pregnancy. Mm. Uh, but once I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, it was a little bit of a game changer. So, and like I said, this isn't something that I've really shared with a lot of people, which is probably quite disappointing because just like our mental health, we would really should share this information. But I, I was embarrassed. Mm. I I felt like people would go, oh, you know, she's she's overweight, or you know, what poor diet choices. Which, you know, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. We should not care what other people think, but I feel like unless you have gone through that or been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, you really don't understand what it is. Yeah. Um, now, I was quite grateful. I was lucky enough to, uh, I guess I could really, my diet was fairly clean. Um, minus, you know, the odd chockies or whatever, but you need mm. those to survive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now I, I was quite lucky. I could, my body could actually process, um, like I could process food fine. It was just the, the fasting levels. So basically I would do my, uh, blood glucose levels four times a day, write it in a book. I'd have meetings with a dietitian and, you know, X, Y, Z, and before I even could get a week full of numbers, I had the dietitian on the phone pressuring me to take insulin and every time I would, you know, go back with a question or request further information, I was then told, oh, no, no, you can just give it another week, that's fine. So it really was, I guess it was, it was incredibly stressful Mm. One, because, you know, you're you're being told that you should be on this medication and the risk of stillborn and, you know, having a larger baby, That's that was one of the biggest concerns. Now, Ted was huge and yeah. apparently I didn't have it with him. So, mm. I mean, if I can lug around a 4.26 kilo baby, I'm pretty sure I can do it again, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> it wasn't, that wasn't of a concern to me. It was kind of that the conversations that would go towards the darker side of, you know, well, you, you're at more increased risk of a stillborn or like, yeah, and obviously, well, maybe maybe you are, but in this case I kind of just had to really trust my instincts and what, you know, what information I could find and I kind of – Although I did the feel like I did the right thing for me, you know, I would report all my numbers. I really kept a close eye on it. I was I was a little bit skeptical with certain things and the really big push for medication. Mm. Um, and you know, like each to their own. Like I said, I was I was quite lucky. I could I could eat food and not really have to watch too much of what I was eating. Yeah. Um, but, and I know that's, you know, that's not a hundred percent the case, but yeah, it's, it's something that 
I think there's a lot of, there's a really big gray area around gestational diabetes because I actually was told uh, when discussing, you know, the the information that was passed on to me when I was discussing with, um, you know, another medical professional, they said, well, you know, there's actually no a beneficial outcome between, and I'm not 100% sure if this is correct or not, uh, but I was told, well, there's actually no proven benefit between uh, managing or medicating gestational diabetes um, over having just a natural progression of pregnancy. Mm. Um, yeah, but I mean, other than that, the the pregnancy with Lewis, it was it was pretty good. Yeah, well, that's I'm good. not really the. I know gestational diabetes is it's pretty horrible, and it was a it was a shock. Yeah, but I didn't really. I didn't really let that overpower my my possibly last pregnancy. I, yeah. I made sure from the moment that I was pregnant, I just really got myself prepared in that um, that positive frame of mind where I was going to have a good, healthy pregnancy. Yeah, that's the best way to be. And tell us about your birth story. So with Lewis, uh, having gestational diabetes, they they obviously keep a, a closer eye on you because you're then high risk. So mm. I think I got to about the 37-week mark and I had an appointment um, where I was. it was discussed whether I would like an induction or a C-section. Um, they... They usually, with gestational diabetes, they usually like to have bub out by 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me anyway, obviously having that that conversation, I knew what I didn't want and for me I didn't want an induction. Yeah. I So we came up with a, a bit of a plan and I said, look, I, I'm more than happy to or, you know, in all fairness, I could have just said, hey, no, nah, I don't want any of that. But for me, I said, let's go, let's give it to 39 weeks. If nothing happens naturally, well, then I'll opt for an elective C-section. There was part of me that was obviously, I was kind of excited in the lead up, like, oh, I haven't felt what labour feels like. Mm. <laughs> now, for people that haven't felt what labour feels like, I'm sure we all, you know, there's there's something you want to know, like maybe not the full. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I was like the same. I was like, I want to feel it all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> what is it? Oh, yeah. the water's breaking or, you know, like let's go, something, rushing to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so. Like I had I had that kind of in the back of my mind where I was like, that would be pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> um, but you know, as I did get closer to that 39-week mark and with the gestational diabetes, I I my frame of mind did did change. I was like, oh, no, just let's sit tight. I don't think that's what I want. Yeah. Um, so I ended up 39 weeks and another elective c-section yep so were they able to get you in like pretty quickly i at the original appointment where we discussed uh, like induction everything we actually booked in a date then as a backup just so it was 
scheduled. Now, the date, yeah, the date we chose was 4th of November, which I, I quite liked because I thought, oh, well, my birthday's on the 4th of mm. July. So, um, but yeah, we, we booked in and just, just left it open. Whatever was going to happen was going to happen. So you mentioned before that Lewis's was a lot quicker, this C-section? Yeah. So <laughs> Lewis, I think we were in and out within like 20 minutes. Wow. Having, yeah. Having gestational diabetes as well, I was kind of first cab off the rank. Yeah. So with that, uh, obviously I can't fast for too long. So I, I can't remember 100% what time the prep and everything started, but we were at the hospital, I think about 6, 6.30 a.m., and he was out by, I should know, but I reckon 8.30, maybe 8.39. It was, it was early. Crazy. Yeah. And um, the, yeah, the, look, the C-section itself, it was, I knew what I was going in for. I was very comfortable with the care that I received uh, my first C-section. So, yeah, thing, things were a lot more calm. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it wasn't that. It was still, you know, it's still emotional because you're about to, you're about to meet your baby, but you're also about to have this major surgery. Yeah, um, and be awake for it like the whole time. Yeah, you know, oh. that's a whole other level. I know. And what they said the second time was, uh, I can't remember exactly, but it was, oh, if you can feel anything, don't worry, we'll just pop the gas on. Yeah. So uh, I had, although we kind of went through that same, the same process of the spinal and everything like that, I did have a lot of feeling for quite a while. Mm. Now, the feeling itself was, uh, I guess, I mean, I don't 100% know what a contraction would feel like. But I would say that's what I imagined. It was so tight and it was absolutely excruciating. Right. Uh, so I actually had that for a little while until, and by the way, my my legs and everything was, was numb. I just had this pain. Um, yeah. And then, you know, eventually the pain kind of, that that eased up. They did all the, the tests. I think it's, you know, the the ice or anything like that to see if you still have feeling and everything was numb. So, yeah, off they went. That was it, quick and fast. That's awesome. And what was your recovery like the second time around? Um, so <laughs> second time we were in hospital. So the first time with Ted we were in hospital, you know, three nights. The care was fabulous. Mm. Um. And yeah, it was just a really, a really nice, really nice experience, a really nice feeling. We're over there over the Christmas break for Ted. Um, now with Lewis, we're only in, we were, dis so we had the C-section on Friday and we were discharged Sunday morning. Yeah. Look, we're lucky to have a public hospital system. I do feel like the care the second time around was not not what I experienced the first time. Now, I'm not mm. quite sure if that was because it was over a weekend, but I had no physio visit. Um, and there was, you know, there was a, a, uh, the second night I had some quite heavy pain. 
Um, which, you know, that's to be expected. You've just had your stomach cut open. Um, and I requested uh, medication, more more painkillers. Now, I did this because the first C-section I had, I actually didn't remain. Um, I wasn't having my medication as frequently as I could have. And, you know, I went to get up to go to the bathroom Ended up screaming. It was just the most horrible, horrible pain I had felt. So having that experience, the first time around, I just made sure, you know, like, well, whatever they're willing to give me to make this recovery easier and pain-free, I would just take it. Yeah. So I kind of had that mentality a little bit rather than, um, you know, picking and choosing. Um, now I did, yeah, like I said, I requested more info, uh, more medication because I had some pain. It was about 10 o'clock at night and by this stage, day two, um, I, you know, I was up going to the bathroom on my own and, and I noticed I, I couldn't fully stand up straight, which, I mean, that's obviously to be expected. Um, but anyway, so moving on, the request for medication was then met, uh, the the midwife looking after me, she she said, yeah, okay, no worries, I'll be back shortly. Now, I could actually hear her out discussing with the team leader that, oh, you know, she's she's requested more medication and, um, you know, there was a, a bit of concern around that and I, I was a little bit confused as to why. Now, the after that conversation, the team leader came in um, and actually educated me on addiction rather than rather than saying are you okay no I actually got a pretty decent lecture that oh we just can't keep giving medication you shouldn't actually need anything if you need something I'll have to have a doctor come review you because that's not normal after a morphine spinal now I don't have a medical background yeah but I can tell you if I have just had a C-section, like it wouldn't have been even 48 hours had passed. So I was told first time around, just up your meds, stay as comfortable as possible. Wow. That's intense. Did you like write a complaint or anything about that? Because that's shit. Absolutely. So (laughs) that really, as you could imagine, that really broke my spirit. She she basically said, oh, you know, people come in here, they just take whatever and if you're back in a year's time having your next baby, you'll still be on all the meds. Uh, what? What a, now, what a I, yeah, bitch. Absolutely. My, my, regardless of what your medical history is, but I had never even had endone until I had a C-section. Like I've never really had the need for any strong painkillers of any description. So I was really gobsmacked and it was, yeah, there was an addiction aspect to that lecture, um, which it's really, you know, it hurts my heart and it's really disappointing that this person looks after women (laughs) in in their most vulnerable state. Now, at that stage, like... I, I'm quite lucky. I, I could take it. I cried, obviously. Mm. And Mitch was on the couch and he had just woke up and he was like, What was what was that about? Like he had just caught her leaving. And I told him. And yeah, it was 
it, it was very, very, very confusing as to to what happened. And what hurt me the most is there was no, there was absolutely not one one bit of compassion. It was basically. You're a drug addict. Absolutely. And we (laughs) joked. We're like, oh, did she see that we live in Narangis? (laughs) 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 Is that what it is? Like, is it the postcode? Tell me. Um, She's 4211. She's a drug addict. I live in Narang too. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone I know does these days. So. (laughs) Oh, God. And so, like, for the listeners, a way um, to explain like how you and I connected, we actually got talking um, at the gym yes. about you didn't even know I had this podcast, but you were telling me about, you know, your experience with pretty severe postpartum anxiety with Lewis. And yes. it's a topic of conversation, I guess, that we were open to sharing with the listeners and and wanting to unpack that a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah. So this, uh, this is something that, well, I guess I can kind of, I'll, I'll go back. So my first, after having Ted, I definitely did have symptoms of postpartum anxiety. I I 100% know that I was experiencing those, you know, those yucky symptoms and intrusive thoughts, although it was COVID. So COVID kind of rolled around by the time Ted was roughly three months. So I didn't have to experience any of those high-stress kind of social um, social events where, you know, Bubby gets passed around. I didn't have to really experience much of that because of COVID. Mm. Um, I did have some odd quirks, <laughs> um, like with him, I, at that stage, we were living on a, in a apartment building and I wouldn't let anyone take him on the balcony. Like I, I was quite hypervigilant with certain things, but that, that kind of, that's, I, I don't know what you'd say. It, I guess it kind of sorted itself out. Life went on and I just soldiered on. With Lewis, it was very, very different. So I, the first few weeks after he was born, I did start, you know, you have your baby blues, so they say you get really teary. Yes, that was very much there, but... It wasn't until I kind of hit the four to six week mark with him and I started to notice that my, I guess my low mood and the anxiety hadn't improved. Mm. With this, I was also, it wasn't just the anxiety, it was the intrusive thoughts. Yeah. So this is, for me, the this is what I found extremely debilitating there and I still remember there were a couple of days I was home alone Ted must have been back at you know at daycare Mitch must have been at work and I literally I felt like I was having a panic attack and I was frozen and I could not move if I was to move something bad was going to happen Mm. now at this stage I had already reached out to my GP for a mental health plan 
Now, I, I did this as I was, you know, just still feeling just that low mood, but just still felt a bit yucky. And I couldn't quite put my finger on where these feelings were coming from. Um, obviously, within me, but it was it was quite a high stress time. Like I found having a, a toddler at home and then Mitch uh, had taken some time off work. So he was at home, the house, the, you know, the toddler meltdowns, that would get my emotions and my anxiety really high. And, you know, having Mitch around, there was always a constant, I was really sensitive to noise. Yeah. So, you know, bless him, he would be cleaning out the linen cupboard and I would just be laying on the couch like my head felt like it was about to explode if I heard one more noise yeah um I was just, just so, overstimulated oh absolutely and it was a really yeah that in itself is a really horrible feeling but it's actually it's something I still experience now and I think I'm learning that majority of people do actually experience that to a certain extent. Um, but yet again, it's just, it's one of those things on how you manage. Um, but anyway, kind of back to that four to six week mark. Um, I, we, I can't really remember a hundred percent, but I had already reached out for, for help through the mental health plan with my doctor. Um, but it was, we went on a family trip to the sunny coast and that's when I was like, oh, okay, like this is a lot. Um, I think prior to that I had maybe, I was still waiting for my appointment um, with the perinatal psychologist. So I was, I was waiting, I knew help was coming, I knew things were going to get better. Uh, but I was just really like kind of, I guess I was bat battling on each day, and some of the some of the feelings, or I guess the intrusive thoughts, a, a lot of those intrusive thoughts actually were around like medical conditions, you know. So I I would get really <clears throat> wound up on anything SIDS related. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, also, I guess with Lewis and the breastfeeding side of things. So we did have a couple of weeks where I was told he's not thriving yeah. and he's not gaining enough weight and X, Y, Z. And I took him back to my GP who was absolutely amazing. She weighed him and said, he's doing great. You need to, um, if obviously, if you're comfortable, you need to just bring him back here and I will manage his weight gain and his health. There was never an issue. So I don't actually know what what happened there, whether it was, you know, the scales were the the way in where I was actually told, oh, his weights, he's not gaining much weight at all. Well, he was actually weighed on our dining room table, which is very uneven. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but yeah, so kind of, I, I felt like I was doing really, really well until you hear your child's not thriving. Yeah. And then that gradually, you know, unlocked more and more concern for me. But yeah, the SIDS, SIDS is a big thing where I would, I'd lose a lot of sleep over that. Mm. Um, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't just that it was 
there were things like I'm trying to think, you know, you would be walking walking with the pram and just go, oh, what if I just let go? Oh my God, don't do that. You yeah. know, like it would just, you'd get those flashes or I had just really yucky feelings that from having those intrusive thoughts or I was too scared to bath him for about six to eight weeks because I thought, well, what if I have a medical condition and he drowns? Mm. So that that's pretty dark. Mm. Um, and I was also, yes, I was discussing these feelings with some people, but I was also quite mindful not to discuss them with uh, certain people because I don't want to, I'd hate to put thoughts in other people's heads because I'm quite susceptible to that. If I read an article, then I'd freak out. Oh, is that going to happen to me? Mm. You know, so I was, while I was experiencing this, I was having small discussions with people that are close to me, uh, but maybe not to the extent of how it was impacting me. I think it's this is another thing that you've brought up that we have never talked about on this podcast, yes. intrusive thoughts. And two of the intrusive thoughts that you just said is literally the same thoughts that I would have early days. Yeah. But yeah. It, I found my husband would have them too. Like, Oh, it, wow. It wasn't just like me, like, but we would. Yeah the way we coped with them was talking about them together and like laughing about like we would go out for a walk and he'd be like what if we just let it go and like we would be like it's so fucking sick like why are we thinking like this and you know what that's so lovely (laughs) it's so good you just can have a laugh about it because I looked back and I was like I hand on my heart I thought I was psychotic yeah it is so normal (laughs) it really it really is and it but when you're in your own head with those thoughts yeah uh, for me it was the most oh absolutely and I feel like you're only you're only alone until you share those thoughts Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and then you know once you start to have you know, more and more discussions with people, you can laugh it off. Um, For me, uh, overcoming the postpartum anxiety, it wasn't as simple as explaining what I had thought and then laughing it off. Absolutely. Um, I was very... I didn't mean to take that away from you at all. (laughs) No, now I can. (laughs) I just wanted to to let you know that you are alone. (laughs) No, and you know what? Like I think if if you can find the humour in it, in anything, absolutely go for it because I, you know, I wish maybe that was something we could have we could have done like that I think that's a really good way to work through it and then you know you find out your husband's experiencing those thoughts well you know what I would probably say a lot of men do they just they process things different Mm. absolutely so did you were you able to get in with that um, perinatal psychologist and it was around that sort of trip that you were saying that you're feeling like really anxious yeah, so we went to Sea <laughs> Life um, and I, I just, yeah, I couldn't, we were having such a great day out and then walking through those tunnels, I was like, oh, 
what if this just bursts or what if something happens or someone's got a gun? Like it was really morbid thoughts and I just, mm. I felt like I was choking up, um, but I'm probably really good at hiding it. <laughs> Didn't want to ruin the kids' time, but deep down inside I'm like losing my marbles. <laughs> mm. um, but, yeah, following that, so I actually had prior to that trip, I did have already maybe one appointment um, with my prenatal psychologist and in all honesty that one appointment was horrible really <laughs> I, I cried and cried and cried and I uh, I should say she was fabulous okay. that made she yeah she was great but it made me feel terrible yeah because you're you know she she kind of referred to it as you know pandora's box like everything comes out and then you just sit with it for a little while after and that's that's what i felt so i actually felt worse after my first psychologist appointment mm. which you know she yeah she she was absolutely fabulous and we kind of just got i got everything out on the table that i that I wanted to, but it wasn't, it probably wasn't everything. Look, I was, there, there was obviously some thoughts and feelings that I did withhold because I thought this lady's going to think I'm mental despite the fact this is her job. <laughs> yeah. Um, but after that trip I did, I actually went to my GP to discuss because I said to Mitch, I was like, look, I'm still not feeling very well. Um, I, need, I need to get some help. Um, so I went went to my GP and I, I think I needed to go back maybe something with Lewis as well or I just had him with me and I I went in and I just started crying. <laughs> yeah, just really just started crying and she's like, you know, what makes you sad? And it was just, it was really silly little things and I was just experiencing low mood and she said, you know, there are, she's like, there's definitely some un underlying postpartum anxiety, depression, um, where for me I was a little, I found that a little bit kind of confronting because I would never think of myself as, you know, uh, I would never think that I was depressed and, I mean, I don't really know. Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. But in the saying that, she then gave me a script um, for some antidepressants and, I took the script and I was I was a little bit shocked because I was like, "Cool, this just got serious." Mm. Um, <clears throat> now I came home, had a chat to Mitch about it. We actually had an argument about it, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> um, just what you want. Um, yeah. So it was just yeah, it was a pretty pretty yucky time, and I sat with that script actually. For a little while and I reached out to my mum's group now I said oh, I've just had an appointment because I've been quite open with my mum's group as you would you know like we all experience similar things and until you until you kind of share your experience you'd be surprised how many people just they they've experienced the same thing they just uh you know they don't want to come come forward with those fear like those shared experiences because same thing as everyone I don't want you to think I'm mental but yeah whoa this happened to me <laughs> yeah 
um, yeah, so I pretty much I said, look, I've just been prescribed this. Has anyone uh, been on these before? I'm not quite sure what to do. Um, no one, you know, no one could say that they had been on that particular type of medication before. Um, so I just, I sat tight and I knew I had another psychologist appointment the following week. So, and I, I must admit, I did, I did have intentions where I was like, well, I'll just give myself another couple of days, just another couple of days. Like, let's really hope things improve. Um, and I think around this time, I actually had just started at the gym. Yeah. So I was probably, I think I had only just had one week into it where I was like, oh, this is really, it, it, I, my mood definitely hadn't improved yet at that stage. Um, but I was, you know, I was kind of, I was doing things and choosing things to get me out of the house. Mm. So I had, yeah, that, that appointment coming up and, you know, I spoke to that particular appointment with the psychologist. She said something that really, really changed my process of thought. So with the, and this is some, like I think when we started speaking, it is something that there's not a lot of information out there where it doesn't indicate you're going into a psychosis. I think a lot, if you Google intrusive thoughts, a lot of that information, it does kind of indicate that there is obviously some underlying issues. Now, I was discussing with my psychologist what I was still feeling and, you know, that real overwhelm and she she said to me, use the intrusive thoughts as a warning system. So if you're walking along the road with your pram and you just get this horrible sensation of what if I just tripped or the pram went flying, well, that's just your body preparing you to maybe just hold the pram a little bit tighter or, or just go, oh, okay, we don't want that to happen. So I'll just, I would move the pram further away from the road, you know, like those little things I started to, I guess, utilise those horrible thoughts as, yeah, as a uh, as way to keep safe. Mm. With uh, And I know this obviously it's not something that could that could work for everyone. But for me, it really did. Now, I actually shared that with someone else close to me who had just had a baby at the time. And she also said to me, that changed everything. Because you go from having these horrible thoughts, thinking that you are losing your mind, <laughs> to going, oh, okay, well, these thoughts are actually quite normal. Let's just try and utilize them one way or another. Uh, prior to that, I was kind of always told with the intrusive thoughts or anything just to kind of like flick them off or, you know, just go, oh, that was a bit yucky, moving on. No, I actually decided that, okay, well, I'll I'll sit with them or go, why am I feeling like that or what has triggered me to have this intrusive thought? Now, for me, one of my absolute biggest fears was um, uh, coming into like a postnatal psychosis. Mm. Something about that absolutely scared the shit out of me. Now, obviously, 
you have these intrusive thoughts. So then it's, you just, you're on that merry-go-round. Oh, why am I thinking like this? Oh, I'm going into a psychosis. You're tired. You're sleep deprived. So, you know, all your senses, you're overstimulated. If I was tired and, you know, sometimes when you're really tired, like if I accidentally would see something out the corner of my eye and go, Oh, what was that? Or get a fright. I would then go, Oh, this is it. I'm, I'm going into a psychosis. I'm I'm going to lose my marbles. Mm. Which yeah, that that was my my biggest fear and I think that's why I kind of I obsessed over that. Yeah. Um and what I guess what triggered me with that particular fear is, you know, unfortunately it does happen to some people and they don't have as, yeah, it, it happens to some people and sometimes the the worst outcome is they actually do do something to hurt their children or themselves. That was always my biggest fear and I think, yeah, like I said, I think that's just why I obsessed over that. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting like that, that story about your psychologist saying that uh, when I was like a couple months postpartum, Dr. Carl on Triple J, oh. <laughs> had a, I was listening to it on Thursday, you know, the site, the call-ins and mm. someone asked about intrusive thoughts and that's basically oh, exactly go. what Dr. Carl said and it was like at the perfect time when I needed to hear it. He, he basically yeah. explained it's like our biological makeup as human yeah. beings and especially we, when we become parents, it's much more heightened for those thoughts to come to us in a way to like protect our children or ourselves from that scenario happening. Yeah. So like an intrusive thought I would have is dropping my son and like, yeah. I, yeah. and that is, that was my, my way of making sure that I was never going to drop him, just making sure I was conscious of the way I was of holding course. him. Yep. And that hundred percent helped mm-hmm. me think about yeah, like how you said about like water and you wouldn't want to bath yes. him. Like at the start, I would have to have my husband hanging around yes. if I was having a bath with my son. Cause it was like, what if I die? And yeah. then <laughs> he's on my chest and he drowns. Like, I know. What if I have a heart attack? Yeah, <laughs> totally irrelevant. Or, the chance yeah. of that happening is so low. But that's the exact exact thing I heard, which was yeah. like a breath of fresh air, exactly what you just said, like your psychologist. And it's like using those intrusive thoughts as a way of going, okay, yeah, I need to hold my baby a little bit tighter or a little bit better. Maybe I'm holding him a little bit awkward or whatever it is. Ab- absolutely. So, so did you, did things like start to get better for you after that? So, yeah, I kind of, I had that appointment and I did, I mentioned to her that I was given a script for antidepressants and I just said, look, this is not for me. I'm, I'm not done yet. Like I've got the script there. I'm, I'm very much comfortable to take them if I feel like it's, it's needed, but I really, really wanted to give things a go naturally and after it really obviously it didn't things don't change overnight unfortunately like we go through I went through definitely some periods where I was like I don't know how I can live with this Mm -hmm. Uh, not that I would you know not that self-harm was ever something that I thought about or considered but I was like 
this is horrible. Like this cannot be the way that I'm going to spend the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, so it was really just a matter of, for me, uh, following that psychologist appointment as well, she did send me some resources just about, um, you know, like self-care. So, and, and little things which I found kind of quite nice. So it was grounding, you know, go sit out in the sun for 30 minutes, walk around with no shoes on, go buy yourself a, a nice a body wash. So even though the kids might be screaming in the lounge room, you can just have that time to yourself, dim the lights, pick a, a really nice scent and just enjoy that time. Mm. Which unfortunately, you know, sometimes that is that's all we might get. Yeah. A a shower. And I would look forward to that. And that's that's not from, you know, lack of support from Mitch or anything. It's because no. we were so busy. Yeah. <laughs> so busy. Like he gets home from work, the kids are here, dinner time, bam, bath time, bedtime, you know, like it was just it is. It's motherhood, I feel, is always, you know, it's always go, go, go. There's mm. always something on the agenda. Mm. Uh, but that is something I I did find quite useful for me. Um, and then following that obviously came the exercise. Yeah. So this was the real game changer for me. Um and I was I was really lucky enough. So one of my one of my good friends, Alex from Mum's group, she actually had introduced me to the gym. Now I had watched her with you know her two under two for the last year, pretty much, showing up every single day, taking those boys to every single class. Like she was just on fire and a really good example of you know well. She's, she can do this. I, I can do it too. And yeah. she was absolutely fabulous. Like I had never, never lifted a weight before. Like I had no idea what was going on. Um, and I, I'm quite grateful I did. I had someone to kind of hold my hand for quite, quite a long time, like at least a couple of months until I really got the hang of things and the routine of going to the gym. Now, why I kind of found that worked for me is because I would sit with my thoughts and then spiral. Mm. I find with going to with going to the gym or learning something new, like it it would I would have to switch off for that hour to learn something new. So I was thinking about so many other things. I was, you know, I was meeting new people. I was I was learning some pretty cool tricks and I, I started to, you know, you'd gradually notice yourself getting stronger and stronger and then I became into such a, a routine of going every day and I, I noticed that things just, those horrible days and those being consumed with terrible thoughts gradually started to decrease. Yeah. And I'm it's, a big it's believer in that, exercise. Oh, One of the biggest 100%. things, biggest things for mental health. Yeah. And I, you know, like I think if I could go back and I think about my timeline a little bit prior to falling pregnant with Ted, like I was, uh, fair enough, I had never lifted a weight the way that, you know, we do now. Yeah. But <laughs> I, 
I was always active, you know, like I was doing bachata, I was doing boot camps and stuff like that and probably stopping and then the last few years like my yeah I think there there definitely was uh you 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 don't lose your spark but I think I can definitely see the difference in myself when I you know I exercise in comparison to when I wasn't and when I had those few years off Mm, 100%. And, oh, and it's amazing as well, not just, you know, like obviously o- over time you you start to see the results, but for me, like I was so empowered to go and that made me, and it still does, it makes me feel so good. It is a form of self-care and if I can only give myself that hour a, a day, that is enough for me. It is it's something that has really worked for me and absolutely changed my life. Uh, yeah, and you are looking amazing Thank and I'm you. glad that you're feeling amazing and you're absolutely killing it at the gym. Yeah. <laughs> Smashing it. Who, who would have thought, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I was watching you this morning. It's like, get it, get it girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, well. That's we probably have to wrap it up there. But before yeah. we go, um, I just want to ask you a few few questions. So, if you could give one piece of advice to a mum who's about to embark on this journey, what would it be? I think the most valuable thing that you could do is it, it sounds it sounds really stupid, but I think become your best friend so through I I feel like pregnancy especially your first pregnancy it can be quite confusing and lonely you know you're surrounded your whole life changes if you find something that you you love or you adore find that and cherish it Mm -hmm. because if you can be your own best friend and enjoy your own company then you don't feel lonely. Uh, another probably on that is like, yeah, absolutely, go look after yourself, but also find a support network. So I'm quite lucky. I have an absolutely maze an amazing mothers group, and you know we all met when our first children were about six months, and that was online. These were strangers that I met at a park in Mudriba. It was the best thing for me as a mother. That is the best thing that I could have done. They, people, as you, you know, you're going through everything and you've got a group of women there to support you and hold your hand. That, that is probably, if you, if you can't find a mother's group, join one. I mean, sorry, not join one, start one. Like, do it take take a chance you could end up meeting like your future your future best friends and like I could not imagine my life without my mum's group now yeah since the day we kind of we all met we we do we we all chat every day what's Mm. going on you know (laughs) who's in the yard whose child's doing this it's really it's really good and we do we support each other and find you know a bit of humor in the dark times which is nice 
100% agree. Definitely find your tribe for sure. Yes. Um, and do you remember what it cost you to birth your babies overall? Did you have any out-of-pocket expenses? No. So no. we were, yeah, we were quite lucky, obviously, just going straight through the public, public. system. There was no no out-of-pocket costs I know my American listeners are crying right now. Yeah. (laughs) And that's why, you know, like I can can whinge about certain things, but we are lucky. And nine times out of ten, the care, especially the maternity care Mm. here in Australia, even have it being able to access free mental health. We are so lucky. And I think those things are there to be utilised. Mm, I was chatting with one of the American listeners on TikTok a little while ago. Oh, yeah. And it cost her $86,000 <laughs> to have a straightforward <laughs> vaginal birth. How? It's not like they carried the baby. Like, uh, what? <laughs> oh, ridiculous. That is. And it's, you know what, it's. It's quite, it's disappointing because, I mean, I don't know anyone who's got 86 grand laying around for a birth Um, and then you have to think of how that impacts, you know, the aftercare too. Oh, don't even get me started on the American political and health system. Mm. And then they go and tell women that they can't have an abortion. Like, Well, yeah, I know, right? Oh, fuck. Okay. That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) To think about. (laughs) (laughs) And the last question I've got is, Mm -hmm. do you have a favourite product or purchase that you would recommend to another mum? I'm a bit of a basic gal. So for me, it was... A good pram. Yeah. Uh, now, we've had our pram since Ted was born, and it was just a bugaboo fox. I We have used that so many times, especially the bassinet feature when we have been travelling. Um, I was told it, um, it had been approved for overnight sleep, mm. so that was really handy, you know, going on uh, little trips. And I think we even took it to Perth at one stage. Like, that is... That was the saviour for us. Um, I didn't really go down the path of any fancy bassinets or anything like that. It was just really basic. Give me a pram. That's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you pretty much need. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Or do something for yourself. Get a membership, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome advice. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. No I'd never worries. heard it out loud like that. It was beautiful to hear. Yeah. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us and open no and about some really important topics. I absolutely loved it. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me on. Thank you so much, Sherry, for coming on and sharing your story with us and being so vulnerable. If you're listening to this episode and a lot of what Sherry was saying has resonated with you, I strongly recommend you listen to the last episode on the Made Into Mother Journey podcast, episode 27 with Ella Milner, a perinatal mental health occupational therapist on what is postpartum anxiety and depression and how to overcome it what sherry did and getting some help was absolutely incredible and i take my hat off to 
blamed her for going to go get some help in such a vulnerable and tricky situation. So well done, Sherry. I know that it can be really hard to seek help if you need it. And a lot of people are okay with going to the doctor or psychologist or and getting help that way. But I know it can be hard to even reach that first step. So one thing I'd always recommend to any women who's struggling with postpartum anxiety or depression or any sort of postpartum related mental health concerns is to look up the COPE website. It's the Center of Perinatal Excellence. I would read through a lot of information on there and contact them um, to get some advice or, you know, to get yeah further advice on how to navigate your on your current situation. That's all done over the phone. You don't have to leave your house and your baby. You can get a little bit of support over the phone that way if you are struggling with anxiety. Even the fact of going to the doctor to get help can sometimes trigger that anxiety. So... Um, that would be my recommendation to start to get help. And of course, my inbox is always open if you ever need to talk. Thank you so much, Sherry, for coming on the show. And I will see you guys next time. The information and opinions presented in this podcast are for educational and entertainment purposes only. While I may discuss pregnancy, birth and postpartum topics, I am not a medical professional and the information provided should not be construed as medical advice. I strongly encourage my listeners to consult with their own healthcare provider before making any changes in your pregnancy and birth journey based on the information you hear on this podcast or elsewhere. Remember, the information provided in this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. If you have any health concerns or questions, please seek the guidance of a licensed medical professional. Thanks for listening. Remember, Mama, you're everything that your baby needs and you're doing an amazing job. Mm-hmm.